Celebrating UNESCO's International Year of Indigenous Languages 2019 with the SOAS World Languages Institute. Hi everyone. In this episode with me, Francesca Brown. And me, Claire Green. I'm also here, Kumi. <laughs> we'll be answering questions like what does Indigenous mean? Which languages and people are considered to be Indigenous? And why should we care? But first, why are we talking about so-called Indigenous languages? In January 2019, UNESCO, that's the United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization, launched the International Year of Indigenous Languages. According to their official website, the aim of the year is to help promote and protect indigenous languages and improve the lives of those who speak them. UNESCO also point out that of the many languages around the world that are in danger of disappearing, most of these are indigenous languages, and this, I quote, puts the cultures and knowledge systems to which they belong at risk. This year, there have been events all over the world to celebrate the Year of Indigenous Languages. Oh, so what kind of events? I was just having a look through the calendar and map of events on the Year of Indigenous Languages websites, and there's been a real variety from um, like academic things like conferences and seminars to more traditional cultural things like gatherings of people who represent Indigenous languages, like a powwow. Um, some things that use modern technology, like webinars, and something that sounds really fun, a Wikipedia editing contest in the Sami language. Um, and lots of community events, uh, like film screenings, arts festivals, um, a really cool looking festival in Norway that seems like the, the Glastonbury of the North, but with more indigenous cultures. And we even did one here at SOAS. Yeah. the. Um, the lang- language fest we did that in February. Yes, I went to that. <laughs> what did you think? It was fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you thought so because yeah. we organised it. <laughs> yeah. It was really nice. It was like um, I don't know, just a lot more things than I would have thought was at the first. Um, I really liked the draw a uh, expression in yeah. your language and um, that was quite good because it, it's funny seeing how people represent things um, sometimes similar concepts but in just very different ways using language in a really cre- creative and colorful way so mm-hmm. it was nice that we actually then drew that so yeah i really enjoyed that aspect yeah yeah there was also the part that was called soas we talk where we could mm. film people speaking their languages it was all across soas as well so you can imagine just how many languages there were uh, and we ended up getting, I can't actually remember how many we got, but we must have gotten, we must have over a hundred yeah, recordings. Yeah, all together from the, um, from the, the pre- We Talk project, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I liked, um, I think that the day became more about not just so-called indigenous languages, but uh, language diversity in general. Mm. Um, and we we might come back to that again later. Yeah, yeah. And so we'll be doing another one, I think later on this year. Perhaps next year we'll keep you guys updated. Yay! <laughs> um, right, so I think we're going to talk a bit more about we've been using the word indigenous a lot, but what does it actually mean? So, uh, go on. <laughs> yeah, so we uh, we collected a bunch. Well, okay. So over the past few weeks, we've gone round a bunch of different. Uh, venues, different conferences out here at SOAS as well. And we've recorded a bunch of uh, opinions from you guys. Um, so 
here is what we collected. Uh, what, what does indigenous mean? I'm asking you what it means. Uh, I don't know. Are Catalans indigenous? Um, I don't know. I don't know what indigenous means. I would say yes. It depends on how far back we're supposed to look. Okay. So I'd say yes, because why not? It's... Um, well, indigenous to Germany, <laughs> if that counts. Um, but I suppose it depends on the definition of indigenous. Right, so what, what's your definition of indigenous? Well, I'd say it's just someone who is um, native to a place. But that's obviously um, a very fuzzy concept, being native to a place. Um, I think my association tends to be, because I work on that context, um, in Latin America, sort of anyone, um, any group of people who was there before um, the Spanish conquest. Mm -hmm. um, so I think in a colonial context, it's much, it, it's much clearer who's indigenous and who's not indigenous. Um, but in general, I think it's a very... Um, <laughs> very contested term that um, mm. yes, sometimes definitely. creates more um, like random exoticizing associations than anything else. Mm -hmm. um, first of all you can you can define indigenous like individually as in you can identify as indigenous. <laughs> Uh, so, so, so I, I guess that's that's related to identity, right? So it's related to identification of people. So it can be rather a self-identification. It can be you identifying others. It can be others identifying you. So I guess it's the interplay of people ident identifying people in different, in, you know, in different ways. And you know, the outcome is that you can be perceived by as as indigenous in some context. Yeah. And not in some others. That is such a great question because I feel like in my own field work, um, working in Nepal, I would not actually use the word indigenous very often, but when you asked me that, I realized that I don't actually know what I would use instead or why exactly that would kind of, I don't know, seem to almost have a negative connotation or something, but um, I maybe would say that I, what would I use? Local language or maybe use minority language? Um, no, I don't. I don't believe I'm indigenous. Okay, so what is indigenous according to you? Um, well, in response to what, what is indigenous relative to why I'm not, looking at the sort of my background in Creole, Louisiana, my family were white colonists from France who were slaveholders and who were involved in the subjugation of the people who were already there, who I would class as indigenous. Um, and uh, in Louisiana it's a very interesting case because one of the fallouts of the um, colonial project there was the total obliteration of any coherent indigenous uh, society any coherent indigenous identity really and instead um, the project of genocide and assimilation was quite successful. So you have examples like a friend of mine who when they were um, 19 their grandmother took them aside and said by the way I know that you've lived your whole life as a white person 
and a white person with kind of dark skin, but a white person. But actually, I want to tell you that um, I'm from such and such a tribe, and this is our story, this is our traditions, and that's how they were introduced to their part of their indigenous heritage. So until really, really recently, and still, it's something which is hidden and covered up, um, both because uh, people are aware of it and they are afraid of the repercussions, but also because um, of the, the brutality of the colonization in Louisiana, which so disrupted patterns of identity and um, genealogy in indigenous communities. So, yeah, Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, so... Yeah, so what does indigenous mean to you guys here in the booth? Um, well, I think I agree with the general feeling of the, um, the, the clips that we've collected, that it can vary a lot depending on what the context uh, It can vary a lot depending on what the context is. Um, and that in certain places like the Americas, it has a very specific meaning of communities that were there before colonialism. And if you consider yourself indigenous or are considered indigenous, then um, that gives you certain rights nowadays, or you know, maybe in the past meant that your, your rights were removed. Whereas elsewhere, and I think a few people said this, they wouldn't necessarily use the word indigenous because it's just not historically been been used in in that area, uh, like Nepal, for example. Mm. Oh, that's interesting, because um, I I guess I think of the word indigenous in a more political sense. Um, mm. It seems to be something that's. Um, an identity that's been created um, against um, or in favor of, uh, like you said, gaining political rights that people, otherwise marginalized people, have been excluded from having. So I wonder, <clears throat> so I don't think the term indigenous would have existed um, like during colonialism or pre-colonialism um, it seems to be, I mean, it might have, but it seems to be something that's like an, an afterwards where exclusion has meant that actually your people, some people are justified in having the same rights and equality with other people on the grounds that they were here first. And I feel like that's a reaction against invasion, basically. So it's in my mind, it's always been like a political thing that people, a tool that people can use to to gain political rights. And I think, um, yeah, sometimes quite rightly, but I also think it's it's a bit of a shame that like you have to claim like, hey, I need equal rights because I was here first. <laughs> um, it's it's a sad state of affairs that that has to be the case. But um, that's what it always draws up in my mind because we don't generally talk about. Um, the indigenous British, because globally, like you have the British Empire, so the British the British had all the um, political power. Um, but if we take the very uh, strict definition of what indigenous is, so like native, then every place has people who were native at some point. 
Um, yeah. But then I guess on the flip side, every place has people who came from somewhere. Everybody came from a different place to where they are. So where is anyone really native <laughs> from anyway, really? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's um, something that other people think as well. Like, where do you draw the line? And then in the other direction, everybody, you could argue, is indigenous to wherever they were born. Mm. Um but yeah, I think you mentioned that we don't talk much about the indigenous people of the UK. It might be worth mentioning that indigenous kind of has acquired darker connotations in some contexts, like it's been hijacked by right wing Europeans stroke UK people um, as a way sometimes to justify being anti-immigration. And that's... Um, obviously not a good thing that kind of un- undermines the um uh the the benefits that being called indigenous can bring mm. true i think it's interesting <clears throat> sorry i think it's interesting that you say that um in theory anyone can be indigenous to where they were born but i think in practice that doesn't actually play out um so me personally I wouldn't really consider myself indigenous to the UK um yeah I wouldn't consider myself indigenous to anywhere really it's it's a funny one because yes I was born here even my mum she was born here but our heritage is Nigerian specifically Yoruba so I guess anyone who hears my name or just just hears my name would assume that I'm indigenous to Nigeria. But I have very tenuous links to the country because I haven't spent a lot of time there. So it'd be really hard for me to say, yeah, I'm indigenous to Nigeria because that's the that's my cultural background, that's where my father's from, that's where my name is from, and, and that's that I'm tied to that land because I just have very little experience of being there and knowing the layout of the land. Um, And then on the flip side, having been born and brought up in the UK and knowing the layout of the land, like like this is the most familiar place in the world to me, it would be really hard to be like, yeah, I'm I'm an indigenous British person. It's like, (laughs) yeah. But then what about your name's not very English or British or... And yeah, and then I have another cultural background which would then suggest some kind of other place. So I wouldn't call myself indigenous under any circumstances, I don't think. Yes. And it's interesting you talk about the land as well, which is yeah, obviously important in um, many cultures. And we were speaking earlier about the Yoruba language and whether there's a word for indigenous in that. Could you uh, tell us more about that? Well, um, as a not really native speaker of Yoruba, I'm just going on trying to see if I could piece where where, or what this word would be and the closest approximation is that we talk about people being from a certain land like the body from the land Um, so Yoruba land is is a place that people recognize and then you could talk about someone being like a a body a person from Yoruba land Um, but then I I don't know if that translates so directly with the concept of indigenous um, because the Yoruba land idea is like well there is no idea that I was here first so if somebody who's not 
Yoruba lives in Yoruba land or vice versa, someone from Yoruba land moves elsewhere, there's always this tie back to the land that you're from. Um, but I don't know, it just doesn't, it doesn't translate directly to, to being native in the same way so that's why I was just like hmm I wonder if other cultures have this a term for indigenous um because especially like maybe it's my viewpoint that, that's not seeing this because I think of it something as a reactionary identity against a dominant or dominating power um yeah mm. I don't know how about you Francesca um would you see yourself as indigenous yeah, so I think after after having spoken to all these people with such, um, it's not so much they have different opinions, but it's just quite varied and all kind of going towards one idea, which is that it just really depends on the context, where you are, who you're talking to. Um, and I think the word indigenous can even be something very subjective, very personal. Um, like for me personally, because I'm I'm half British, half Italian, um, I wouldn't I wouldn't call myself. I mean, if someone just came up and asked me, "Are you indigenous?" I'd say, "No, you know, I'm, I'm from Europe." But then I feel I think about it, and I'm like, "Well, yeah, I'm, I'm in, indigenous in a kind of sense of the word." But um, I also come from like a very colonial background like both of my cultures are famous for being very for being like colonists so um i would personally find it a bit uncomfortable to call myself indigenous due to the historic connections uh, historic connotations that this word has um i think it would be almost offensive perhaps mm -hmm. Um, so shall we move on to the idea of indigenous languages, um, which we've touched on already, that the idea of being indigenous includes uh, being marginalised. And part of that, um, you know, we found repeatedly in history over the world is that cultures and you know, languages themselves are suppressed, marginalised, people are, are prevented from speaking them. So um, that's what this year is all about. Uh, do you have any thoughts on why we should care about indigenous languages or maybe about what what could be happening to them for people who don't know so are we talking about indigenous or endangered languages here? oh well there's a question <laughs> are all indigenous language in, languages endangered and are all endangered languages indigenous no. probably not no I, yeah i wouldn't think so um but there would I'm guessing, I don't know, they aren't all, it's not that all indigenous languages are endangered, but there is probably a correlation, because especially as, as Camille was saying, that it was about, that it's um, usually like, lang like cultures and languages that are minoritized, um, that have the term indigenous, and usually it's those cases where the languages are dying out. In terms of whether or not we should care, I interviewed uh, Mandana recently, who is the director of the Endangered Languages um, documentation project, as well as the Endangered Language Archive. 
uh, as well as the SOAS Institute. Oh, SOAS World Languages Institute. Yep, she's director of everything, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she said something really interesting, which I'm going to add in now. So what we are experiencing today is, you know, on a dramatic scale. And what is happening is that because of the effects of modernization, so globalization and urbanization, what is happening is that people all over the world, um, you know, move away. They move to cities for the promises of a better life. And when they move to cities and change their ways of life, they give up the languages that they're speaking in because for a more prestigious language that will, you know, give them socioeconomic mobility. Mm -hmm. So what is happening is that, you know, this leads to language shift and language shift is something that has always existed in the world, right? People moved somewhere else and then they gave up the language. They spoke for another language uh, and for a new life. But what we are experiencing now is on the scale of the fifth mass extinctions, namely the time when the dinosaurs went, when the dinosaurs died out. And the scale of language loss is faster than the loss of our species. So to, to give you numbers is we estimate that there's about 7,000 languages spoken today in the world. And of those 7,000 languages, 3,500 languages are actually endangered, meaning that by the very end of this century, um, all these languages will have fallen silent. These languages will not be spoken anymore or will be on the verge of having only elderly speakers. Mm. What that means is that we are losing our linguistic diversity um, and we're watching basically what is happening and how these languages are all going. And we're losing what, something that has been puzzling us because think about it, language is the human faculty that makes us different from all other species. There is no other species that has language. Yeah. There's lots of other species that have some communication system, but the things they talk about or the things they communicate about are very limited and it doesn't have the features that language has. So if you want to say to me, ooh, but bees have language, let me explain this in a short way. Bees can tell you where the flower is that has the most delicious pollen, but they cannot tell you what they dreamt last night about where they wish the pollen was. That's beautiful. Yeah. So that's probably to explain that how complex it is because, you know, apes can't speak. Apes don't have language. Um, so there's no other species. And it's a puzzle for linguists and people that are looking into the evolution of humankind is why do we have 7,000 languages? Why have we developed 7,000 different varieties that have complexity at so many different levels? And each of these languages that has developed, you know, is containing information about centuries of, of meaning. It's about the information about the belief system of a community, the ecological knowledge of farming and about plants and healing, their belief system about social relationships, um, the knowledge about how they would build boats or do traps and certain kinds. And the outcome of all this humankind of what humans do, we can go over in the British Museum and there we have the objects, but the knowledge about them is in the heads of speakers, is in the heads of people that live remotely and who whose languages are now disappearing, who are now 
because of the way the world is developing, are going to give up their languages and are not going to teach them to their children. And this is our strongest indicator. The moment children don't learn the language anymore, then they're gone. gone. Um, So I think one very popular comment I've heard a lot is um, that people tend to think that it's actually easier just to speak one language. Mm -hmm. Um, It's my tend to think that it's actually easier just to speak one language. Mm-hmm. Um, it's my favorite one. As a linguist, <laughs> when I say to someone, I'm a linguist, the first thing they say is, how many, how many languages, languages do you speak? <laughs> but think about this. It's actually quite interesting because it assumes that the ability to speak a language term makes you into a linguist. It's the same thing to say the fact that you have a brain makes you into a brain surgeon, right? That might not be the case. So, so what what did you guys think of um, what Mandana said? I thought she said a lot of interesting things. <laughs> <laughs> I found what she said about um, us having like seven thousand languages, that each of them contained like thousands of years of information. That was really interesting, and that's something that I feel like a lot of people don't um, don't realize. Um, and I think it's something that people really do need to realize, you know, that, I mean, when people say we should only speak one language, I'm like, okay, cool, let's all just speak Chinese. And all the English people are like, no, no, wait, I didn't mean that. <laughs> uh, has anyone ever said that to you, Francesca? <laughs> well, um, yes, I went on a date once with a guy. We went on a few dates, actually. It was going quite well. I was like, yeah, this is going quite well. And then... He just dropped the bombshell of a question on me after I told him that I'm really into endangered languages. He was like, oh, yeah, I mean, why don't why doesn't everyone just speak English? Wouldn't everything just be like way easier? We can all understand each other. Uh, <sighs> instant date killer. Yeah, there was no other no, date. No. <laughs> um, yeah, I think um, although she didn't specifically mention indigenous languages, I guess that there is a lot of overlap between languages spoken by indigenous communities and languages which are endangered for the reasons we've talked about like these whole communities and cultures are you know marginalized if not you know uh systematically suppressed and and destroyed um but of course there can also be languages that are endangered but not indigenous right yeah Um, i would think generally um those cases tend to be um Oh, I would think generally that's in the case of migration, right? Where mm. um, languages are not quote unquote indigenous to a place, but they're endangered because the people who speak them um, are, are are being marginalized or they're, they're trying to assimilate. And so the language, the sort of millennia of, of history that's in the language is not being passed on to the next generation. So it's becoming endangered, particularly if um, a lot of people are, we're talking about large amounts of a population, of a language group. Um, I'm going to talk about the Yoruba case again. <laughs> <laughs> but in the, I know that in the Yoruba example, some people are saying it's an endangered language. Um, I mean, you could also argue that it is an indigenous language, indigenous to um, Nigeria, so Yoruba land. 
um, but it's being uh, it's endangered outside of that context because the diaspora are not transmitting it to the next generation. Um, and I can see similar patterns across other language languages, language groups, cultures, um, particularly from the African context, but not only. Um, there's been research done about um, people from um, Chinese backgrounds, Korean backgrounds living in the UK, uh, the UK and the US, um, and how they feel like they're losing their um, culture um, because they, they've moved, but they didn't want to necessarily leave their culture behind, but for whatever reason, um, that sort of identity, if indigenousness is an identity, um, it's not being held onto in in the context of migration so yeah and right here in london on our doorstep we have um at soas quite close connections with the north london sileti community who originally come from you know, the sileti province of bangladesh um but having been in london for so long uh, in the uk for so long speaking their variety of the sileti language it's now actually quite different from the version that's spoken uh, back in its original place, so in some ways you could say that's a, a, a you know a language variety that is possibly endangered or or threatened mm-hmm. um, by the all the many other languages uh, spoken around in London. Um, thank you for joining us, Kumi, to yeah. talk about this. Thank My you pleasure. so much. This podcast was recorded at SAS Radio. Our music is Yellow Light District by Lobo Loco. You can find a link to their music in the show notes. This podcast forms part of a series of four podcasts produced by the SAS World Languages Institute, celebrating UNESCO's International Year of Indigenous Languages 2019. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to listen to the other three episodes as well.